TSF family, did you know that we have a TSF shop on our website? And in it, we have Primal Wounds packages, a Mother Wound mini course, and a Mother Wound master course, which is a six-week self-paced course packed with meditations, prompts, videos, and guidance. Having gone through a lot of these shadow work processes, we wanted to give y'all as much support as possible to do this important work as you listen to the podcast. Head to www.thisspiritualfix.com forward slash shop for more details. Want to gift a package to a friend or yourself this holiday season? Use the code HOLIDAY22 now through the end of the year for 20% off anything in our store. Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello and welcome to episode two, season four of This Spiritual Fix. Today we are interviewing Isadora Stowe, educator, artist, and entrepreneur extraordinaire, and talking about with her what it means to be creative and spiritual. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Ritzie. Hi, Anna. Hey, Christina. I'm super excited about our guest today. Me too. I love this guest. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> and now it's an opportunity for everybody to love her as well now. <laughs> Yes. Today on our show, we have a special guest, Isadora Stowe. She is a multimedia visual artist and professor who lives and works along the border of Mexico, Texas, and New Mexico. Her artwork focuses on psychological landscapes. That is how we all use our identity and memories to construct internal places. Along with co-creator Kaylin Butine, she created professional practice courses for female identifying women held on the Artist's Mother Network. Isadora began meditating in 2014 under the style of transcendental meditation. Isadora, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. We're happy to have you. Thanks for coming. So to give you a little background on our podcast, it's become a serial. And this season, we're talking about the second chakra. So the second chakra for our listeners has a lot to do with 
artistic expression, creativity, and being in your own power. And so we thought we wanted to extend the conversation to a real artist Mm -hmm. because we know that this is something you're really familiar with on this topic. And, And to kind of grow on what Anna was saying too, is that you know, one of the things that we've recognized as we've come through the podcast and kind of one of the things that we kind of present to our guests is this understanding that that spirituality, obviously, since we talk about spiritual things, spirituality comes in all different forms and it doesn't have to have a dictated way of doing it. People will have things that work really well for them. Like obviously you've been doing transcendental meditation for quite some time and they'll have a focus that can really work for them. But then it's also, you know, for others, it may be that it's an exploration and that creativity and that art comes into their spiritual practice as well. So that's kind of where we're coming into this conversation from our perspective of of really tying it into how we're growing as people as we go along and, and our listeners are as well. Great. So the first question I wanted to ask you, how does artistic expression or art play a role in one's spirituality and or mental health? Well, I think just, first of all, thank you guys both so yeah. much for having me. I, I just, I, I'm so happy to be here and I love your podcast. So it's great to, to get to be a guest. Art is spirituality. Art is a conduit for spirituality and for openness and for flow and for play and for creativity. So for me, it has a symbiotic relationship with spirituality. It's an, it's an open place where you can really exist in and connect to other things under modalities in all sorts of different ways. It's so open. Um, It can be, right? It can be. And so I think it has a symbiotic relationship. So those two things live with one another there. You can't extract one from the other in the the fine arts, right? The fine arts is a little bit different because the fine arts were kind of established after the age of enlightenment and they're more academic in their pursuits, but there are still so many spiritual aspects to it that people include. But as we know, that's not necessarily like part of the larger academic conversation, just as love, joy, and happiness are not necessarily part of the academic conversation, but spirituality has been present and is something that people have been talking about since they've been making art. Yeah, absolutely. In your, like, I love, I love your art. I, I follow you and I'm just like, I think it's so amazing. And it's just, it's absolutely incredible. So like you were talking about how artistic expression and art play a role in kind of one's spiritual and like mental health in the kind of greater conversation. How does that really like land for you and your life and your expression since you are an artist in your day-to-day life as well as an educator on art? Um, because transcendental meditation is a daily practice and because my art studio practice is a daily practice, like I'm committed to these things every day. Um, they happen in one size, shape or form or another every day. There's something that are really important to me. I think that they just, they, they really inform each other. So for me, transcendental meditation is about being more connected to everything and realizing the interconnectedness of of the human experience, the animal experience, you know, and my artwork is also about connecting to that. It's it's to accessing that area and being able to talk about that in a visual way, in a way that I don't have words for. And so it comes across in my work and it is my hope that when people see the work, they are having the same kind of relationship with it. They feel this openness. They feel this sense of mystery. They feel this sense of awe and excitement and joy and pain wrapped all up in the same thing, which is life. Right. And I think that the spiritual aspect of that is also feeling like it's okay to fail. It's, it's feeling like it's okay to not understand things. It's feeling like there's so much more to learn. There's so much 
room for play and love and self-compassion. So I think that's how those two things kind of work together and support what I'm doing in, in the studio. And then when I go out into the world and I teach about art or as a single parent or as a person working very hard in our community to help support the arts. Everything that I do is kind of invigorated by those practices and, and they feed off of each other. And then they just give you so many more opportunities to connect with other people because you're in a different kind of state and you're in a different kind of openness where interacting with other people, you start to see their humanity a lot more. And, and the aspect of being so connected, but feeling like we're, we, we make barriers, right? Like we are so connected, but all the time we're either making masks or we're making different designations or class and all these different societal expectations to divide ourselves from one another. But I think that when we have, um, this understanding and this, this grounding and this root of, of interconnectedness and however that looks right. Like for some people that might be cooking every day, or that might be going for a run every day or whatever it is that connects yourself to that other thing, I think is, is pretty powerful. And for me, it just happens to be the physicality of paint is like my modality of, of working through that creative world. And it's such a unique way of expressing it, right? Because in a lot of ways, if someone's going for a run, it's their expression of their inner state, right? But you're doing it in such a way that you are giving it to share audience. Yeah. You're sharing with an audience and then they are receiving it and, and you, you know, it, it you can't determine how the, the, they receive it. Right. That must be, right. it, that must be really interesting to like watch a show and like, see how, do, do you get surprised yeah. at how people react to it? I do. Well, I mean, it's kind of an, a curated thing because if someone is going to actually go to an art exhibition, which they're, they're usually already interested. So it's kind of like half the battle, right? These are people who want to be there. So, I mean, for one example, I had this exhibition years ago and I was late <laughs> and nobody knew who I was because it wasn't in my own town, um, my own city. And I just watched people move around and talk about the work and they loved it and they were exclaiming and they were, just, they got it. Like they got everything I was trying to do through this visual means. Like I heard them saying, so it was, that was incredible, incredible. But also, I just want to also say that it would also be okay if they didn't right? Because I'm making this work and it's, it's primarily for me in a lot of ways. And I just want to say this because I think sometimes when people make work or they make artwork or they make something that they're going to put out into the world, which is a scary thing, they're going to make their art and they're going to put it out into the world for that kind of relationship. I think that sometimes we worry about how it'll be received or how people will, will, what it'll mean to other people, but ultimately it's what it means to ourselves. We're being vulnerable. We're putting ourselves out there. And Brene Brown has this great quote, right? Like if you're not in the arena getting your ass kicked, like, I don't want to hear from you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're not also doing this vulnerable thing. So I think that one of the things to remember when we're, we're making work or we're making things that we're putting out into the world is that we're doing this for ourselves as a very generative, generative thing. It's a gift. Sometimes we get people gifts and they don't like it, whatever, but our intention was to get something for someone, you know? So I just wanted to, to throw that in there about that kind of public private world of art, because I think sometimes that can be where people feel self-limited or they feel like, well, I don't, I don't want to show people this thing, or I don't want to put this thing out into the world, but really you're putting this thing out into the world for you. Your most important relationship is with yourself, you know? So 
Yeah, I hope that answered that question. No, that's brilliant. Yeah. That's totally brilliant. I know that Anna and I can relate, or I, I won't speak for yeah, Anna. Yeah, oh no, yeah, for sure, with the podcast. With your own art, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just a, it's a talking form of art, right? But at the same time, it's just like- It's a, it's a product, right? Yeah. Like it's a product of creativity, so. Yeah, exactly. No, that's brilliant, thank you. So I like what you said about being vulnerable and putting your art out there. And I think that that brings up a lot of fear of rejection for people. Like, I think there's so many people out there that could create something, right? Like I know someone, you know, that's an accountant and she just started doing painting on the side as a business. And we knew all along she had this in her. And I think some people get stuck being that accountant for their whole life. Like what advice would you give someone listening that does want to express themselves artistically, but maybe has a fear of rejection or a fear of vulnerability? Well, I think also there's nothing wrong with being an accountant your whole life and, you know, loving to make paintings and not ever showing them to anybody too. You know, that's totally valid. It just depends on, and because I feel like that gets into something totally different, like the commodification of, of things and where you want to be spending your time and where you want to be earning your money is something different than putting yourself out there creatively. Right. So I think that you have to, you don't have to do anything, but to be an artist or, or to, I mean, creativity is different than art, right? Creativity is the act of thinking these things up and, you know, everybody literally is creative. It's, it's our superpower. Every single person is creative. And the more you are creative, the more it grows. So like, you can't get rid of your creativity. You just start growing it all the time, but art is the, the expression of a product or, or this kind of thing, right? It's the song or it's the, it's the book or it's the poem, you know, and and then you're kind of pushing it out into the world in that, in that state of pushing things out into the world, you really need to have a really good relationship with rejection because the thing is you are not for everyone. Just like, you know, when you're going to the grocery store, perfectly good bananas, but you're not into bananas, right? Doesn't mean bananas suck, but just not your thing, you know? So I think that when we put ourselves out into the world, it's important that we find our people and, and learning how to find our people is is a hard thing, but it's also that building that confidence and, and confidence is just courage, right? So courage to just be who you are, be your weirdness, put it out into the world and just be confident that, that, you know, it, it is true to who you are. And that's the most important thing. And like, if you look at any of your favorite, like writers, artists, singers, singers, right. If you go to their Instagram or their website or whatever, you can find an article trashing them, how horrible they are. Right. Like nobody's going to be happy with everybody. And do you think that that person should have stopped making their art or not put it out there because there's going to be a bunch of people who are going to say something terrible. Someone's going to say something terrible about, about you, no matter what you do and what people think about you is really none of our business. So I think if it makes you happy, um, to put yourself out in the world, that's something that you, you, you should do and taking little steps, you know, in whatever form those take and building that courage and building that confidence is really important. But it's also if making work and not ever showing it to someone and just having it for yourself makes you incredibly happy, that is completely a valid way to express yourself. You know, there's, there, there's a lot of issues too about commodification and is this a good work if, if you don't sell it for a high price and it must not be good. And, you know, all this kinds of valuation and it's really not the valuation is you like, is this the art that's authentic to you that you want to make that challenges you that's ambitious for you that, that keeps you going. That's interesting to you. That's not formulaic maybe, or, you know, whatever it is, that's, what's the most important thing. You're going to find everybody, you're going to find people who love it and people who hate it. So just make it anyways, you know? 
I love that. I love that. And yeah. it reminds me a lot of, of like, I feel like one of the things we've touched on a couple of times is, or something that I've been touching on recently, I'll say, is this whole idea of like, if we label ourselves as the accountant or we label ourselves as the artist, then suddenly, like you said, it has to become productive, right? You have to be productive and thus you then have value and that value is then exchanged for something else, right? But yes. but that's the externalization of value. That's depending on other people to give you valid value and then to, to label you as something thus, you know, can an accountant sell a painting without being, you know, without being labeled an artist sort of thing. Yeah. Right? This is yeah. the problem of the patriarchy, the capitalist patriarchy that we live in. It's the complicated problem. And so redefining yourself and going against the social norms is very hard. It's debilitating in a lot of different ways. So it's like choosing what your piece is and what's important to you. Um, but it's an absolute structure that's around us. That's stopping us. It's not because we, for some reason, don't have enough self-confidence or we, for some reason, aren't good enough. It's because there are so many structures in place that are limiting our ability to see ourselves in that way and be accepted in that way in the greater culture. Yeah. Yeah. So historically and socially, like, do you think, or this is, this could be a both question is like, do you think that art has not been given its due importance? Or if it's, if it's a given that it hasn't been given its due importance, what I would think so, yes. why do you think it hasn't been given its due importance? <laughs> well, there's many different reasons why, and, and a lot of them, you know, have to do with the patriarchy, <laughs> but also because of uh, the industrial revolution really kind of changed the way we I mean, art has a history, right? And that history, and I, I won't bore you too much with it, but, you know, artists were asked to do, and art was asked to do different things during different time periods and during the evolution of the Western historical trajectory. I'm talking Western, uh, you know, the Americas um, in Europe, but more recently, like, like in the past couple hundred years, right? We've had the industrial revolution that kind of changed the way that we saw craft and we saw artisans because a machine could do it better faster, cheaper. And, and, and that's kind of the, the root of it. And that's, we favor that even today, you know, somebody will want something that is manufactured more than something that an artisan has, has maybe like really worked over. Like before the industrial revolution, you would go and get one pair of shoes and it would be the person who had for generations been making shoes with leather that fit people's feet a certain kind of way, right? That just kind of was wiped out during the, the industrial revolution. And it also, you know, this idea of women's work is also part of art and the devaluation of women's work and women's unseen labor. And so anything that kind of happens in the home or that would be used with ha hands, these kinds of things have been devalued. But at the same time, we had academies in Europe that were saying, well, art is this and men can only make this. And this is the kind of things that are important. So we had all these hierarchies. So we have a long history of these hierarchies in our Western history about what art is and, and why it's important. And, and even though we have the data, like, and I can give you guys some of this data to put on your show notes that shows how much art helps us in education and resiliency and mental health. And like, Literally, it blows everything out of the water, but it's still not taken seriously. It's still the first thing taken out of schools. It's still the first thing that struggles for funding and recognition constantly. So 
you know, I, I wish I had an answer to it. I'm a huge arts advocate because that devaluation is something I see all the time and I see it's a very hurtful thing. So at some point when we start to recognize its importance, I think it will be revolutionary for the health and well-being of, of everyone. Yeah. It reminds me of, did you ever read the series, his dark materials or like any of the things that it's no. like the golden compass, things like that. The only reason I'm mentioning it is because there is this concept that they try and illuminate in it, which is this concept of, they call it dust in those books, but it's basically consciousness. It's basically like if you were to try and solidify consciousness and certain people could see it, they like use all these examples of like, of, of how like, of a shoe that's handmade will have so much more of this consciousness on it uh, right you know where it's like as opposed to something that's made by a machine right so it's like the, they like it's it gets very complex in there but the basic story of it is it's just like if only people could and i think that people do i think that people are coming into the awareness yeah. of of artisanal goods and then and then art itself is like that that the level of of creativity and and whatever you want to call it whatever system with whether it's shakti or life force attention whatever it is like that is such a potent energy to have in your space if you choose to bring it into your space right it's such a potent energy to to wear it's such a potent you know and and yet we see things at face value and we're like oh it's this much money and i can and i need something functional right whereas the form mm -hmm. gets so can get so complex if we start looking at those subtle levels of energy of what someone's creative force brings into your space if you choose to obtain it Right. I love that. I love that so much. Yeah. It's like, how do you convince somebody not to go to Target and buy a painting instead to buy a painting from an artist, like a living artist whose, whose hands are in that work and whose energy. So I love the way that you framed it that way. That's really beautiful. Yeah. To, to kind of piggyback on what you said about how there's all these, there's all this data about how art can enhance people's mental health and emotional lives, et cetera. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, I, I could talk about these specific studies, but I'll talk to you about some more anecdotal things that I'm sure that every one of your listeners has witnessed is, you know, if you put a bunch of art supplies in a classroom with children, you will not have anybody go into that room and be like, I'm not touching these art supplies. They're not for me, right? Like, this is not how I'm going to express myself. You see people just flood in there and just grab stuff. But as we're adults, these things have been kind of pulled out of us and our, and our reliancy on this self-reliance of our own creativity has really been gone. And, and they've actually, there, there's been many studies about this, but one of them is about creativity scars and that like most people, I think it's 80% of people have creativity scars. And what that means is at some point in someone's life, a person in power could have been, you know, a relative, a, a parent, a teacher you know, whoever told them that their creative ability was not okay. Like they were singing and they were like, wow, oh, you should stop singing. Or, you know, they wanted to be in a play and somebody said, oh, you should not be acting, whatever. So they call them creativity scars. And what it does is it just stops people from continuing that on because it's not something that's really nurtured in our culture. And so what happens is we, we really lose that. And so it's something that once it's found is such a healing 
I mean, that's just another way to kind of heal this inner, the inner self of us who have not felt like they, we could create, or we could kind of go down these different avenues of things we were interested in, even though they didn't make any monetary sense, they didn't make any sense with our, our majors in school or what we wanted to do with our lives, um, or what we're good at, what we're like inherently good at. Right. So Choosing art and, and incorporating it into our lives is, is a, a lot about healing and it's a lot about opening up these spaces where we can play. Play is hugely important uh, to the well-being of, of humans. And again, play. You, you can watch children all you want because w- when I say children, anybody under the age of 12, because they've done these studies with, with the children before they go into the school system and when they're at the age of 12, which are very important milestones where kind of the socialization really gets um, inducted into, into people's brains, right? And stopped. But kids want to play. It's just, it's a natural part of who we are as humans. And why do we think as we get older, that goes away, right? Like we're just, we're living in these systems that are not really conducive to the human health of what we are as animals, as people experiencing this world together. And so I think anytime we have conditions where we're allowed to do those things, it's, it's healing. It helps with stress. Like they literally can test your cortisol levels when you're after you've painted something, um, and before, right. There are these major changes. So it just reduces all sorts of inflammation in our bodies and, and in our minds and those stress levels. And so I just, it's just something that is totally, um, attainable to everyone. And it's just breaking down the barrier of that's something for me, I think is one of the biggest issues with having access to that is yes, creativity, art, all those things are open to everyone. It's, it's not just a select few and it's not just, it's just incredibly helpful for people's mental health. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can reflect as someone who is in my, the beginning of my journey of, for one thing, being obsessed with art supplies and just being like, yeah. what can I do with this pen, this yes. marker? Oh my God. I got, you know, like, it's just like, it's totally where I get such a dopamine fix for my, for my life. Right? Can, can I consider my cooking art? Cause I feel like yeah. when I'm in the kitchen, I'm just playing and having so much yeah. fun. Yes. It's, that's creativity, right? Like that's innate creativity. And I always use this example. Um, you may know her, but my sister, she's a doctor and I always use her as an example because people are like, I'm not as creative as you. You're an artist. I'm like, my sister is the most creative person I know. She is so incredibly creative, but they're like, well, what kind of artwork does she make? I'm like, she doesn't make artwork like that. I make, you know, she doesn't make that kind of a product, but she's incredibly creative with the way she thinks about things, the way she handles things, food, her house, the way she manages time is so incredibly creative. So I think that the way that we think about creativity and the way that it actually is, is, is just, it's just not thought of in that way, but people are incredibly creative. And I think calling it by name is incredibly empowering because it just makes us stronger and more grounded in doing it, you know, and more mm-hmm. connected to it. Yeah. So, so with the creativity scars that people think, cause that's definitely something I encountered as well. And it was funny because I just this past weekend, I went with some friends of mine and two of them were fine arts majors in school. So there's like an engineer, I was the scientist, and then there was the two fine arts majors. And and so for me, it was so funny because I was having a conversation about watercolor because for me, like my brain is just like, I have to figure out 
how to do this. Like it's, it's, it's got a way to do it. There's like a step, there's definitely yeah. steps, right? Like there's definitely steps that are doing that. And it's like, as like, you know, turning it in my science engineering mind of like, how do you do a lab? Right. And so it's like very interesting and, and scary even to be like, so how do you, when you're mixing a color and you really like it, but you only mix that much of it, how do you get more of it? Do you just have to keep, you know, like just these like really practical. Yes. Yes. The, these also, are the anxieties of my students. As soon as they start class, they're like, wait, what's the formula? I'm like, oh no. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. And so, and I know a lot of that comes from this place of, of, of I was told that I had to do it a certain way because, you know, in chemistry, if you don't mix it in the right thing and you don't have the, I mean, there's a certain art to that as well, but you know, it was like, there really is kind of a prescription of like, this is the instruction that you have to follow. How would you recommend that people, you know, address the kind of creativity scar and become more creative and, and like really go into that space and kind of explore what it is in that, in that, that space? Well, I think with the democratization of like YouTube and Instagram, there's so many different creative people who are like super generous with talking about whatever craft it is, like if it's acting or writing or whatever it is, and they have wonderful things to say, but, you know, I'm a lifelong educator. So I would also say finding, you know, an educator who is very open and wants to, you know, help you get to that place. And I think that taking a class is one of the most, you know, that's also, it's a very creative thing. We always tell our students when we're, when we're talking about sustainable practices for a professional practice course, take, take as many classes as you can, right? Because you want to explore and you want to see so many different perspectives on how to do this one thing, because that helps to heal, you know, and things have changed so much culturally. So like people our age, I think like when I went through school, the way that I was talked to about creativity and art were, were pretty damaging, but I grew up with a parent who was an artist. So I was like, ah, whatever, these people are weird. You know, they just, it's, they're really mean or whatever it was but because I had that background so I could brush it off. But if I didn't, I would have just stopped, you know? Um, so I think that hopefully people now are starting to see the value in supporting people with positivity and really supporting what people are interested in. But I would say finding a teacher, just researching, just researching and looking it up and knowing there's another way, right? There's just so much out there that's free to us now. Um, you can just go down any kind of rabbit hole and find information about what you're interested in and, and then just finding a good teacher in your area. Um, I think is a way to just start exploring because that's, that's, you know, it's, it's courage. You're taking a chance. You're putting yourself out there, but I think it's, it, it, it could be an incredible experience and you can meet new people who also feel the same way, you know, like there's just so many different things that can just start to light up. Once you start saying, I'm going to explore this, I'm going to go out into the world and start to be open to, to thinking about this again, you know? So I'm guessing that as an artist, you experience like the equivalent of writer's block, artist block, or something. is that, does that happen? And I'm curious if people do find that they hit a wall in their creativity, what are some ways you've managed to come around it or over it? So I get this a lot and I, I feel like it's a fictional thing. And I think somebody made up that term of writer's block or, you know, studio blocks. I hear my students use it a lot, my, my older students. And I think that, I think it's procrastination. It's fear. It's just, I mean, for me, if, if I'm in the studio and I just don't feel like making something, I'm like, all right, I'll clean the studio or I'll get these supplies ready or I'll do, I just don't feel like it. Right. It's not a block. Nothing went away. Nothing stopped. It's just, I'm not feeling it today. I'm a little tired. 
this and this break. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I want to do this instead. And, and I also, I think writer's block, I'm going to put that in quotations because I, I think of that as a very negative term because I just don't think it really exists. I think that's also a fictional thing to kind of make us think that somehow we don't have access to, to ourselves in some way. Um, that I, I think that just allowing yourself to play like that Montessori method of just like kind of following what interests you. Sometimes I go into my studio and I, I have, a, I have deadlines for shows or this or that. And I'm like, I'm just not feeling it. I just want to play around today. And so I'll just get stuff out. Something was interesting to me. Like today, I, I, I bought a bag of lemons and the, and the bag that the lemons came in, is just so beautiful. And I was just feeling that and the tactile quality of it. I was like, I want to put this into some, like submerge it into some plastic and see what that can do. I, I mean, I have other things I need to be doing in my studio, but I'm just going to run, run with it because I think it has something to teach me. And I don't know what that is yet. And I'm just going to follow whatever that is. And so I think that even when we feel blocked, do the thing that you want to do. If that thing is, I'd rather just clean my house really well, go to clean your house, you know, and just come back to it. But I don't think anybody is really blocked. I think that that's, I think that's also another fiction that we tell ourselves to stop ourselves from, from accessing who we really are, what we're capable of. That makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. And it's, it's interesting that you, I love that because I feel like Anna and I do that in a lot of the processes that we talk about is that we just like, it's, it's, it's like the lemon bag of like, oh, I'm just going to pull this because there's something here. I'm going to pull the string and it's like, it's going to lead me to something. And I have no yeah. idea where it's going to lead me yet, but that's like the fun of it, right? Is like, where is yeah. it actually going to go? We call it follow your inspiration or follow the inspiration. I It'll be so fun because I'll have like five books I'm reading and then someone mentions a book and I'm like, I drop all the books and I just listen to that one on audio or whatever. I'm just like, I'm like, should I do this? I'm giving up on the other one, but I'm like, I got to follow the inspiration. This is the one for my heart right now. So I just going to go that way. Yeah. I love it. Cause isn't there that voice in your head? That's like, no, you should finish this book first. Yeah. And then I'm like, what is so that? Patriarchal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm like, I'm <laughs> following my, no, I feel like Christina gave me permission to follow my inspiration when she told me that's our soul's way of directing our lives. So I'm just going to yes. follow the inspiration. Exactly. Yes. And we do need permission. We do need validation too. I think that's a really big, yeah, part. it's a shortcut. Like I'll tell that to yeah. friends. I'll be like, I'll be like, you really want to do such and such. It might cause a lot of problems, but go do it. Cause clearly your soul wants you to do it. And maybe you're going to learn what you need to learn faster. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like our mind can't fathom the, 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 our mind can't fathom how we get from point A to point B, but it is yes. a very creative path, even just the example of life. Right. I kind of have a question about the opposite of writer's yeah. block, which is what I would call a flow state and to kind yeah. of, and I, I'm sure you probably know what I mean. Cause it's like, it was interesting. Cause my husband and I were like a while ago, a couple of years ago, we were like trying to kind of come up with like, what was the aim if we had like a goal in our lives and we kept coming up with specific things and being like, ah, that's too specific, right? Like it's just, it just kept getting too granular. And then eventually we were just like, our goal is to try and get anyone in our family to be free and flowing in a flow state, to find a flow state, to find a state of relaxation and flow in which we can be creative and be ourselves as much as possible. And then that kind of became our kind of overarching goal. And I can imagine that that same feeling is a very important aspect of being an artist. Can you, I mean, you can refute that or not. I just. Uh... So cool. And I love you and your partner coming up with that as a goal. I'm very goal oriented. So 
I'm like, I am so stealing this from you. That's all. I mean, it's just a fun thing to share with another person and make that your intention with your children. Like that's so cool. So the flow state for me is that's when I walk into my studio and I set my timer. Like if I have to be somewhere in a couple of hours, I set it because I know I'm going to disappear in here. Like I'm going to go where time doesn't matter, where it's just like me and this thing. And so I need a timer to like pull me back out because I'm going to get lost. And I think that for me, it's because, you know, I've been doing this for so long. It's so important to me and it's the place I want to be. And it's my home. Like to me, that's where I feel the most myself is when I just go and I disappear into the work and I'm like looking at color and following my images and silk screening and doing processes. Like I just get super lost, um, to the point where I'll be like, oh, it's been hours and I haven't listened to any music or anything. So I'll, I'll like, I can hear myself kind of pulling myself in and out, but I think that the flow space is accessible to anyone is it's about having that time. When I had a small child that it, one of the reasons why it was so hard for me to be a parent of a younger child was they just keep coming in and disrupting your flow state. And you're like, ah, ah reality. Oh no, no. Like that is so hard for me because if I get pulled out, like it's hard to get back in. So I think that really creating like a sacred barrier for that space and having people honor it, you know, and just saying, look, I'm going to go disappear for four hours, or I'm going to go disappear for an hour, whatever it is, like, leave me alone. And, and so that you can really be there because you're not in reality. You are in a place where time and space exists completely differently. And to me, that's just I mean, I, I don't want to compare it to drugs. I mean, I don't know how to, what else to compare it to, but it's, it's like a high, like no other. And it's, yeah. and it's the connection like that. I, it feeds me so much. And sometimes when I go hiking, I get it too. Like I'll be out there for hours and I know the path. So I know where I'm going, but I've checked out. I don't have anything on my phone. Like I'm not, I'm just in total silence. There's nobody out there and I'm just walking and I'm, I'm in my brain, but I'm also like, what was that bird? And you know, like, I'm just kind of moving, but I'm not really, I'm in a different kind of place. Um, so I think that the flow state can be accomplished in kind of anything that you're just interested in and you're challenged by. Like when I'm walking, I'm literally like, is that a snake? Is that a snake? Like that's the only thing I have to do. <laughs> it's just look ahead because sometimes there's snakes on the, the thing. So it is that I'm, I'm there because the flow state is also, you're just fully immersed in what you're, you're doing. But I think, I think thinking about how you access it is really important. So I think of course it's different for everybody. And then just like, how do you make space for that more in your life? Like what you said with your family, like just kind of scheduling it in. We talked to our students, Caitlin and I talked to our students about how you negotiate studio time and how you, it's a non-negotiable on your calendar and it, it's in your week. And it's something that is just as important as paying bills, going grocery shopping, you know, cleaning the house, going to work, all those things, like scheduling time for it so that it actually happens is extremely important so that you have that time to just, you know, be there in it. But I think it's one of those things, like the more you try to grab it, like squeezes out, like, you know, you got to really be like, all right, I I've done the emails. I've gone as far as I can get. I got this time for me now, and now I'm just going to play and just be there and see what happens and not have any expectations, you know? Oh yeah. No, I definitely have had that moment with young kids where I've been like, even my like 
in some ways, if I didn't have resistance to to getting pulled out of the of the flow state, I might be able to easily slip back into it because but because I'm just like, oh, my God, you pulled me out of the flow state. You know? I was really on to something that I'll never like remember. literally to like ask you to wipe their butt, right? Exactly. <laughs> to ask you to wipe their butt. They literally just got their turn they're turned around and they're walking down. Yeah, that's that's like 100 percent it, right? Um so so out of curiosity, like with the flow state and you know, you doing transcendental meditation, like how does your how, do they they do they build on each other? Do they help? Does your work and in, in doing TM help to find that flow state easier or vice versa? You know, I can't, I, I can't tell what came first, like the chicken or the egg, but I, I was, you know, I was practicing artists long before I was doing transcendental meditation, but I feel like transcendental meditation was like a quantum leap. It was like pushing it so much further. And like, I can recognize it. Like I, I know what, and I can actually articulate it. Like I probably couldn't articulate it 10 years ago. Cause I didn't know how to talk about this stuff. And I didn't really know what its presence was so much and, and doing transcendental meditation and working with um, a coach was a way that I could really kind of understand what that was. And I was like, Oh, this is what I do in the art. Like, this is what I do in my studio. This is what I do here. But I didn't, I didn't have a language for it to connect it. So I couldn't say what helps what, but I think they're interrelated and they just, they, they push me. Each one helps me a little bit more. Cause it's really, I, I'm, I'm accessing those states and I'm getting practice on how to, and I'm, I'm building it up and I'm getting better and better at it. So, yeah. So I think they just kind of feed each other. Absolutely. Cool. Thank you. Very cool. So this season, the theme of the season is the second chakra. And Christina says that there is a shadow chakra for each chakra. So for example, the root chakra, which we did last season was all about sexuality and intimacy and connection and the mother, and then the shadow chakra that would have been humiliation, right? And so this season we're talking about the second chakra. So that's about artistic expression and self-empowerment and the Kundalini and even the father wound and the shadow chakra of that is abandonment. So I want to ask you, like, how do you see art as the antithesis of self-abandonment? Oh, I love that. And I, I actually love it framed that way so much um, because you are, you are in your own power. It's all you, right? You're taking every experience you've ever had, every book you've read, every visual image you've seen, and you're putting that into your creative practice, even if it's cooking, right? Like you're thinking about all the ways you've seen other people make food and the ways that food has made you happy. And so I think that art is the antithesis of self-abandonment because you are in your own power because you are recognizing yourself and you're saying that that's worthy enough to give time and attention to in this way. Right. And when you abandon yourself, you're, you're not thinking about what makes you happy or what makes you come alive or what brings you joy or what you would rather be spending your time doing, you know? So I think that it's, it's a way to really kind of be in yourself, be completely empowered. You're not worrying what other people think about you. You're not worrying if other people think it's okay. You are just doing what, what feeds you emotionally, spiritually, like what you're passionate about, what interests you. And so I think that it's a way to really step into your own power and, and be who you authentically are, right? Like everybody has different handwriting. Everybody has a different way of expressing themselves in the world. And that's what makes us so incredibly interesting and important and different and have something new to say. And I think that when we honor that and we recognize that as, as, as being important, we're not abandoning ourselves. We are honoring ourselves. 
and to kind of give some context to our listeners in season two, we talk a lot about the drama triangle and coming out of the drama triangle. So in the drama triangle, you have these three components, victim, persecutor, and rescuer. And they say, when you have evolved, the rescuer becomes the coach, the perpetrator becomes the challenger and the victim becomes the creator. So I feel like creativity and art is, is the expression of you taking your victimization or your sob story, if you will, or your life experiences or your stories, and then converting them into something beautiful in your own eyes, maybe not others, you know, but you're creating. Oh my God. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You're re-narrating. You are narrating your own story. You are the author. You are not listening. Like you're not taking in what other people are are telling you or saying is your story. You are the author of your own story. Yeah. I love that. Nice. So, so as we come to the end here, we're going to have links in our show notes to your website so people can see your art and we understand you're a professor, but could you talk a little bit about the artist mother network that you and Kaylin are putting on? Yeah. So the artist mother network is a podcast by Kaylin Butine. That's all her own creation. She interviews artist mothers because she recognizes the need to, to bring women's voices, artist mothers voices to the forefront because they have been very much marginalized, still are marginalized today. That is her, she's just incredible at that. But we started a uh, professional practice course for artist mothers for female identifying women that really kind of talks about the holistic practice of becoming an artist, what that is, how do you sustain it? How do you do all the things? How do you wear all the hats? That's what our course is called wearing all the hats.co is our website. What we do is we, we coach artists. We have courses, we give guest appearances in order to really help artists believe in themselves, empower their work, think about themselves. And as professionals, as being taken seriously, as their voice really mattering and how do you get that out into the world? Artists, we're also marketers. We're also, you know, we're the documentarians. We, we got to take photos of, of our work. We got to do our social media. We got to do all these things in order to expand our reach so that we can get to the audiences that our work resonates with. So we work with artists in that way. And right now it's hosted on the Artist Mother Network, but we are moving to our own website, artistswearingallthehats.co. Wonderful. And so I kind of have a final question for you here. Sure. Really, it's just an opportunity. If you want to give us a big takeaway for kind of, you know, what you would you would tell our audience, whether, you know, they're on a spiritual path of self-discovery or if they're wanting to go into the, you know, the artistic expression of themselves, anything along those lines, any kind of final thoughts that you have? Yeah, I would say just don't leave your passions wanting, meaning like address the things that light you up no matter what they are, or how obscure they are, or how weird they sound to other people, or how they just don't make sense for your life. You don't have to be a perfect person in whatever that thing is, but just giving them some time so that they can help nourish you even more and lead to more creative breakthroughs in whatever other job you have chosen or whatever other form your life is taking. It will only help you, you know, your creativity only grows. And so I would just wish it would be my wish that today, Whoever's listening takes a moment to really investigate what that would look like and takes a step towards honoring that and putting a little bit more of that into their life. Cause it will, it will just go out into the world and, and be an incredible thing for other people in your life to see and for, to, for them to get their own permission as well. So it'll just be giving and giving and giving. Awesome. 
That's wonderful. awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank, thank you so you. much. It was so being nice here. to meet you. <laughs> it's great to meet you. You are pretty cute. I like your dimple. I like your DNA. <laughs> your DNA is pretty cute. Hey guys, they're sisters in case you didn't pick up on that. <laughs> Not to just call it out here at the last second. Yeah. No. So tune in next week to listen to the book that made me drop all my books, Existential Kink. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Isadora Stowe. Check her out on Instagram at... Isadora Stowe, I-S-A-D-O-R-A-S-T-O-W-E. Thanks for listening. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer... One girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.